1: one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. Please welcome our special guest today, Matthew Burns. How are you doing, Matt?
0: Hello. Good. I'm doing all right. You guys are
1: seeing me me walk around because my mouse right now isn't working, (laughs) but that's part of the fun. Uh, This is also the part of the podcast, Matt, where you introduce yourself to our
0: audience out there about who you are, where sure. you're from, where you're hidden. Yeah. Um, so right now I work uh, at Zachtronics, which is a small indie studio of about five people. Um, I write the stories for the games and I do the music and sound for the games. I have a pretty long history in the industry. I think last time I spoke to you guys, I can't remember how long ago it was, I might have just started at Zagtronics or I might have been working at the University of Washington. Before that, I worked in AAA at uh, places like Bungie and Treyarch and stuff like that. So I've been doing this for about uh, 15 years, maybe, maybe longer, actually. Huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you back. Uh, for old-time listeners, you are familiar with his voice. We've had him uh, for I think like year two of our podcast, and uh, it was a great pleasure talking to you then. Back then, it was mostly about your time in Japan, right, and how Japanese games differ from
0: Western. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We talked about like uh, how Japanese like game development practices differ from from Western practices and, and things like that. I think at the at that time there was a lot more worry about the Japanese game industry like if they were going to be able to survive um because there was some consolidation going on. So I think we talked about that. I don't know. I don't c- completely remember.
1: Yeah, if you don't mind I like, can give like a little update. Ha- it's, uh from my observation, the Japanese um, industry has uh, really bounced back in the, I, I always define it by the PlayStation era, the PS4 era, mm-hmm. with Dark Souls mm-hmm. trilogy, and like, they've been really picking up a lot of, uh, picking up a lot of their weight, um, Kojima with MGS5 and all these other games, and efforts from um, yeah. Square Enix and everything. Uh, how,
0: how, what's your general feeling of what's going mm-hmm. on over there? And why the resurgence? Uh- I think it, you know, it just took a little bit longer for the Japanese industry to kind of like absorb some of the changes that were going on in the in the market. Um, right now you see a lot of really interesting things. Like you said, um Kojima's Death Stranding is looks really wild and, and creative. Um Final Fantasy XIV is doing amazing. It's one of the best MMOs around. Um I think it was just a matter of like. So, sort of learning how to operate in the new in the new like paradigm and the new business of games, and sort of adjusting their product design and adjusting the sort of their development practices to match. And then um, once they were able to do that, all the strengths that were still there you know great creativity and and art and design and and engineering uh, could be brought to bear on that. So I think that's what happened. I think it just took a little bit longer than than maybe people wanted it to. Um, sometimes it takes a while, right, to like adjust your business model or like learn how to do things in a new way. So let's talk about Death Stranding for a sec. I'm a huge Kojima fan. He's, <laughs> the,
1: he's the reason why I got in the industry with the Metal Gear series. Uh, uh-huh. And he never fails to impress, especially with that game. As soon as I uh, realized uh, or heard that it took them basically three years to announce from pre-production to release like it it's completely unheard of in this day and age like not only that uh he represents japanese uh game industry in a huge way but uh somehow just completely i feel like upstage triple a development nowadays Mm.
0: um i think what, what are your thoughts you can you can go fast actually if you want to um a lot of AAA development. I don't. I don't know about your experience, but but mine. When a when a AAA game takes longer than three years, um, so much of those first few years are just kind of like working with prototypes and like kind of feeling things out and trying things that that don't work out. And most of the actual game is made in like basically the last year, mm-hmm. right? Or even like the last nine months uh, if you are not doing it very well so i think like in the case of i don't know a game like death standing like if you just pick something and just go with it and you don't spend those first couple of years like messing around with like oh what if we what if we made it uh an open world game what if we made it an online persistent world and you kind of just say look this is going to be this and just do this you can kind of make get things done faster i think you, know, you just decide something and just go with it. Cause so much of, of AAA on those big teams is just like kind of like circling around and having meetings and saying, do we like this? And can we make it better? Or should we change it to something else? Let's test it. Let's do a, you know, let's do a focus group or whatever, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if Kojima's doing focus groups. It doesn't seem like he would, right? Like he's just kind of like doing what he thinks is best. And so that actually probably speeds development up. Right, because he can just be like, "Yeah, it's crazy, but I'm I'm doing it." You know, I'm I'm having a character named uh, Bad Man or whatever. I forget the, <laughs> the name, but it's like you know, just just go and just do it. Um, yeah, it probably helps that he probably has a like a journal of um,
1: game ideas that he wasn't able to execute when he was working in the Middle Gear franchise. That uh, totally, for a long yeah. time, yeah, for a long time, he was uh, he. Obviously loves making it, but probably uh, Konami didn't really let him explore too much as he can now. Plus, he has that right. forced mentality to do something else. And I don't know if you read that expose, oh, not expose, but like this kind of like um, uh, article about him trying to set up his new studio and the troubles he went through even being
0: accomplished oh. in Japan. Right. No, I didn't read that, but I've, I've heard about it like secondhand. Um, Mm -hmm. kind of the, the, I don't know, it takes a certain, like, I don't, I don't know what to like, um, self-regard in order to just like push your ideas through and say, I really want to do this. I think a lot of people have ideas and then they go and they work on their team and it's good to like work with the other team members and maybe like decide on something together. Um, there's a certain quality that, that some people have where it's like, I really want to do this exact specific thing. Um, and so, it's. I mean, it's great that he's gotten the opportunity to do that. I think we're uh, in for something extremely unique. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to checking it out.
1: Well, let's turn the table back to you. Uh, so, it's been a while since we've talked and uh, I kind of mm-hmm. want to play catch up with you. How, how you've been doing, you say, you mentioned you with a team of five, is this the same team of five? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm also assuming that you guys went uh, with a lot of contractors to kind of get your game going. And would you mind kind of, no.
0: All right. Let's talk about yeah, that. It's pretty how much just us. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Zach is is uh, Zach Barth, the founder and creative director of the studio. Uh, there's two artists, one programmer and me, and, uh, we pretty much do everything in house. Um, we're helped by the fact that our games are like 2d games. Um, they're like puzzle programming games, so they're not super asset heavy and they don't require like 3d assets or anything like that. And, uh, the games are mostly sold on steam, they're PC games, and we're able to pay our way by, by making these games.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh some of the latest topics that i've been trying to kind of ask our guests i feel like there is uh, a lot of teams now that are exploring ways <laughs> to kind of produce and not uh, not only try to sell but try to um it, i don't know it's like a mixture of crowdfunding but during development like have you guys uh looked into that type of model business model or anything different than
0: just waiting till the game ships
1: and then selling it at the end?
0: Um, we've thought about it, but up, up until now, everything's been just, uh, we make the game and we, we put it on out for sale. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of work involved in like, if you do a Kickstarter or some kind of like fundraising thing, you have to, that's its own campaign that you have to run. Mm-hmm. And, um, for us, I think we've, we've, Crowd crowdfunded a couple like special projects. Um, Zach had a game design book that he made that was like we wanted to print physical editions of it. And so at that point, it makes sense to like kickstart something because you have to order, you know, a minimum order is like a thousand copies of the book. And we don't know if they're like a thousand people even want the book. So you, you can kickstart that. And then when you raise the money, then you can get them printed. So it works for that kind of thing, I think, really, really nicely. Um as for like making a game with the funds, it's you you have to get people really excited by the idea of the game and like the promise of what the game is going to deliver when it when it's uh, when it ships, and that's something that maybe we're not as good at uh, as some other developers. I think it's more like we have this game and we want people to check it out, but it's kind of hard to get people excited about like a puzzle programming game like like you're really gonna. Into, like it's highly anticipated or something like that. So I'm not sure that it's the best model for us specifically, um, but we are thinking about it. You know, we keep it in the back of our minds.
1: So a lot has changed since the last uh, time I talked to you and I kind of want your thoughts on that with you guys being um, indie developers and, and this climate of ours are, are is constantly changing, right? Yeah. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't re- I don't think streaming games was as big as I talked to you about it 2 years ago. Uh Yeah, I don't think so. Wonder what your perspective on that as you are building your games in this like celebrities uh are basically <laughs> glor- glorifying let's play videos to to the extent that I don't think anybody imagined it would
0: blossom. To. Yeah. That's a hard one. I think um, our games are not necessarily really built super well for streaming either. And so that's something that we've uh, struggled with. We're kind of thinking about, like, what does it make? You know, how does it make sense to make a game in this world where so many people are um, just watching people play the games instead of like uh, playing the games themselves? Uh, in the case of like some some of the some of our games do work okay with streaming like Opus Magnum. I think the solutions that people come up with in that game are very beautiful and they're fun to share with other people. And there's actually um, an animated GIF export feature in Opus Magnum that allows you to share your unique solution on social media, like on Twitter and things like that. But in the case of some of our other games, like, uh, like my game, like Eliza, that's just a straight up visual novel. And there's no, there's not a lot of point to streaming it unless, you know, unless you're adding a lot of commentary or unless the people who are playing it are very, um, funny or insightful or something like that. And I, you know, it doesn't add a, a ton i would really rather that people played eliza like on their own and experienced it for themselves so it's like not even that good for streaming and um i don't know i guess my my answer is you know we know that that streaming is a big thing but we haven't really like shifted our like how we make games necessarily to accommodate for that very much
1: well that leads me to my next question like how do you uh avoid temptation for feature creep when you're seeing these trends (laughs) that seems to be happening every year or so in the game industry where you're like, well, everyone's into that. Should we design around streaming per se or something else? I mean, how do, how do you keep away from that type of feature creeping?
0: We usually try to make games really fast. Uh, we just try to like pick something, uh, like a, like a point on the wall and just throw a dart at it and just try to like hit that thing. And so we don't have a lot of time to like second guess ourselves and say, "Oh, but what if we changed this game around all the way and like added this completely new uh, feature set to it?" It's really more like we have to ship something. We're a very small outfit. We need to finish it. So just pick something and go and make make kind of the, the smallest version of that thing and get it out there. And don't worry about like, oh, it, sh- it you know it'd be better if we like worked on it for another year instead save those ideas and put that in the next game that you make in the next year. So we try to make like a game a year. And so over five years, you know, we've made five games trying out different ideas as opposed to like trying to put everything into like this one game that we've been working on that has to be the best and, and, you know, incorporates everything together. That's sort of how we approach it. Mm -hmm.
1: Can you walk me through uh, and kind of expand on your development schedule so with a game a year like what does that look like for the Mm -hmm. pre-production prototype stage shipping getting things ready uh i'm I'm guessing your distribution's digital mostly right so Mm -hmm. um, yeah would love to hear more about that process
0: sure it's pretty fluid actually um with five people we don't have to do an enormous amount of like (laughs) pre-planning so usually what happens is uh, Zach has some ideas that he's playing with uh, some mechanics that he's investigating and he'll usually make like a digital kind of prototype version of those mechanics with programmer art. We'll, we'll play it. We'll discuss like sort of the the story of the game because that's actually very important and something we do right at the beginning uh, so that the mechanics and the, and the world of the story coincide with each other. And at some point we decide that it's, good enough and we start to make assets for it uh and refine the refine the design while that's going. And then it pretty much just goes from there. We use the Steam early access feature when we're mostly done. I think when we're like maybe 85 to 90% done just to iron out bugs and things like that. Um, But there isn't really like a like a checkpointed process so much as we just sort of like decide that things are about ready for the next stage. Um, and then, like, you know, during the asset design process. Like if, if Zach doesn't have a lot to do on the design side, he might like go off and, and work on some ideas for, for a new game as well at the same time. Um, so again, it's, it's pretty organic actually. And it works, I think, because our team size is really small. Um, that absolutely wouldn't work on a, on a very large team, right? Like on a triple A team, you really need to have like a process like button down. So everyone understands where they are in the process at any given time. Um, but here I think we just kind of like, we're, we're all experienced game developers. We all sort of know how things should go. And then we just sort of like work organically toward those goals, um, over the course of our, you know, shipping cycle, which is usually about a year. Mm
1: -hmm. When we first talked, we were talking about the Japanese industry on, um, the reasons why they are failing and, you know, it wasn't until recently as we talked at the beginning of this podcast that they found a resurgence. Uh, I want to talk about team size, right? Team size, mm. we've been both in the AAA industry. We've seen the disadvantages and advantages of that. Being able to work in a huge team, you're able to deliver all aspects of the disciplines to the pinnacle of excellence right but also the downfall of that is if it doesn't do well well everyone gets laid off because there's not a lot of room for developers to hang hang out in um being in the indie developer space now seeing the flexibility of how a small team can operate and move Mm -hmm. fast what what are the things that you feel that indie developers now are uh can't really do right aside from the big explosion sure the 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 gimmies, right but like the things that we're still struggling on the smaller scale that you feel like we're not exactly there in terms of being able to match up even in a small square footage right
0: yeah yeah i think um the biggest thing for me actually is like marketing and stuff um you and I are both have some familiarity with Activision and like, I think it like at least half of their budget of any given game is like marketing. Right. And a huge part of their organization is, is marketing. And, and probably the most like powerful division in that company is marketing. I would say, uh, as indie developers, you know, we're just a studio. We, we make the products, the five of us, uh, are really fully focused on like making the game uh, because it's just the five of us, and then like marketing is like, oh, uh, I guess we'll tweet about it or whatever. Um, whereas AAA companies and big companies have all kinds of interesting things that they're doing with marketing. They're able to think about it year round. They have lots of you know teams dedicated to it uh, full time, and they're doing all kinds of marketing activities and there's been a lot of talk in in the indie community lately about like how do you get the word out about your game there's so many indie games now out there uh just a ton of them and so how do people find them on steam how do people know that they exist Um, i wish that more people knew that eliza existed for example um but I don't know how to reach those people necessarily, uh, because we just don't have that like marketing know-how and that marketing like, uh, organization. Um, that's the biggest one. And then, yeah, I think the other one that you mentioned, which was just like bigger explosions. I mean, I would love to, to work with a, like a 3d big team and, and make lots of art assets and, and tell a story with amazing graphics and things like that. Like I do still wish that that were possible uh, but it's it's not with the kinds of budgets that we have so we stick with like our 2d art and and try to make that as good as possible which i think does look good um and is uh, a great like value for for customers because there's a lot of gameplay in our games and i think they look amazing um but it's just not you know it's just not the, the big wow factor of like a huge 3d scene uh in your face that kind of thing. It's not like the big system seller. Mm -hmm.
1: Like standing 10 to toe to these behemoths. um, There's a lot of things that I've been noticing. You you mentioned marketing, right? With uh, being like Mm -hmm. the number one issue. And we actually just recently talked to a lot of PR firms that uh, focus on indie marketing, which is a relatively Mm -hmm. new concept. Which at first sounds like an oil slicksman trying to sell me. Yes,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. because I totally. think like
1: with, you know, we were counting our cents here on the team. It's like, what, what are you going to do? Is he going to update my Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what? exactly. going to pay you for it. But look, now I think it's, uh, I think smaller teams are slowly embracing that because finally they're realizing like this is a lot more work than um, I, I gave um, credit to. Uh, uh, what's your perspective on that? Being a part of a big team with the huge marketing budget and now slowly seeing like these firms kind of out there to help you. But again, you know, yeah. you, you, it's still not like a, um, a firm sell yet to everybody's like, that's enough course.
0: Yeah. I think the, the jury is still out because there's so many of these like indie PR places that will happily though. I mean, they're happy to take your money. Right. And then like what they actually do with it, um, is it differs uh, between the different firms, but like if they have relationships with news outlets that like to cover indie games, for example, maybe they can get some coverage for your game. Um, But is that really valuable or not? Like just because a website writes about a game, like, Oh, here's this weird indie game that does this. That doesn't necessarily translate like into sales of the game very much. Um, Certainly not as much as it, as it used to. I think, these days sales are driven much more by like word of mouth or what people are playing, or these kind of like uh, tastemaker streamers that you mentioned earlier, or uh, like like other channels like that. And so there's like a component of thinking about like how to get people excited about what you're doing and how they're gonna find out about it. And there, there's more to just like, oh, we'll take we'll spam your press release out to a bunch of like media people. And I think you see some of some indie studios like the larger ones have like a full-time marketing person on their staff like on their own staff and that that makes a little more sense to me because it's like someone who's like continuously trying to like refine the message and get the message out there and like figure out like what message is working and resonating with people versus like you just hire someone to like try to spam your information out there one time like when the game is released and so integrating it into the into the company is like kind of like a small version of of what big triple a games do um sort of makes more sense to me although in our case again zachtronics is such a niche developer it's hard to imagine like a sixth person who's like solely dedicated to marketing like being worthwhile because our games are so like specialized and they're for a specific audience. Uh, that's not just like, um, it's not just like a, a anyone who plays games would play these games, you know?
1: Yeah. And it definitely makes it easier who to fire first. If th- does it doesn't, <laughs> it's like, clearly <laughs> that's true. You did not do the yeah. work. Um, it's the marketing, yeah. it's the marketing, but it, it's, um, That's an actually pretty interesting proposal Um, because the last at least year, um, you know, the guests that we've had on, it's been the conversation have been more shifting towards how the traditional media outlets haven't been a real driver for sales. Um, I I think this is at least uh, public information that is slower. I mean, indie developers, you guys are on the ground floor. So you know that this is the case, but it's it wasn't until like the last year or so where I and people like myself are kind of more like this is true. You know, we've grown up with Kotaku or Polygon or any of these uh, r- uh, rock paper shotgun as our way of finding out what games to play next. But even with me still regularly kind of visiting those sites for news stories, um, I never really go to a. Buy now button on Amazon right after I read an article. It's I'm far from it. Right. It's, it's, it's I never really base my decision of buying anything from reading about a game review or or any of that sort. Yeah, uh, which makes it hard. <laughs> like indie developers would love to have that as a as the answer because it, it's a format. It later. does. Yeah. I wonder what what is it really now? Because right now it's still a mixed bag of proper exposure with the right streamer because streaming isn't really the answer either and it's just a lot of luck still right i mean
0: what are, what is your i opinion? think so yeah i don't i there's really no like specific formula at least that that anyone that i know has has like able to articulate it's really kind of like a mixture of luck uh a mixture of like being in the right place at the right time being seen by the right person um it's kind of like I kind of think of it like, like tweets, right? Like sometimes a tweet that you make randomly takes off and you have no idea why, um, you, you made like a a joke or something. It wasn't even that funny. You've made funnier jokes and other tweets or whatever, but like sometimes some of them just randomly take off and it's just the, a matter of like the right person saw it and like retweeted it or something like that. Um, and you can't really like, make that happen right you can't like you can't just force that to to happen and so in terms of games it's just like i mean you can try to do everything uh as best you can you can make a good game you can try to tell as many people uh about it as you can and then it kind of just like has a life of its own that like maybe it it catches on and maybe it doesn't like maybe it sort of like is able to punch through like whatever layer of just people's like people are inundated with information, like every, every second of their lives now, right. Because of being online. And so it's like, what will like actually like punch through and get their attention? Um, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to try to like, keep making good games and hope that they reach an audience and, and we'll do the, you know, we'll, we'll try to get the word out there. Uh, but, we don't have any like secret tips or, or special sauce or anything as far as that's concerned. It's a mystery.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it wasn't until re- recently either that I, I, I felt really old how f- no one uses Facebook anymore. <laughs> like it wasn't until I started really hanging out with more indie developers or at least interviewing him that I realized Facebook is completely dead on that side of the fence. Like very few developers even have a Facebook profile. Um, Yeah. Which is a conversation that uh, I didn't get the memo. Like what's up with that? (laughs) Yeah. Facebook
0: is for like Gen Xers and boomers. Maybe I don't, I don't think kids really use Facebook at all.
1: Um, Yeah. And with uh, Twitter being like the ideal format because it's, um, I'm I'm guessing less algorithm, you know, when you tweet, it's most recent. Um, Yeah. Does that help with sales? I mean, is there a formula there that like the most followers, like, is there something, is is it just another platform or another mountain to shout from and not necessarily
0: a way to to get people to pay attention to your... your... I think that's what it is. It's another place where you can uh, yell about yourself and people will maybe pay attention or maybe they won't um i i don't know how effective twitter actually is at starting trends so much as it just kind of reflects trends that are already happening so it's like if your game is already viral then sure like a lot of people are tweeting about it um i'm not sure how like you know if you just made the perfect viral tweet about your game that it would necessarily make your game successful it doesn't seem like it would to me um again you can just shout into the wind on on any of these social media platforms and sort of not necessarily get anywhere well what what are your
1: thoughts about um it's a changing landscape every year so right i mean we're just talking about the last time you were on this show to now like Mm -hmm. there's a whole different element to the streaming wars um not just uh popular streamers streaming let's play but like Consoles right now are, are, are looking at streaming as a viable distribution. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them mm-hmm. are paying attention to indie developers as the resource since um, there's no really uh, loyalty with AAA developers. <laughs> they just right. uh, yeah. have one year exclusivity, but it's the indie developers to have uh, real, well, what we're used to, like real exclusivity. Um, right. How do you see that playing a factor um, in the industry?
0: I think it's like, you know, these, these new streaming services like Google Stadia and some of these, some of the others, they're in this, they're in this. Place right now where they where they're trying to get content for their platforms, and so they're being nice to indie developers and like trying to say, "Hey, you should come on our platform." You know, like we'll give you money. Um, Actually, the Epic Game Store is kind of a similar example to this, which is like we want people to be using our store regularly, so we'll give you money to be on our store and be exclusive to our store uh, because we we're we're in that kind of startup phase. Once the once the platform is successful, though, there's no real reason for them to to do that because you kind of have to be on their platform if you want to like be able to sell your game, right? Like, so Steam doesn't like offer indies money money to be on Steam because like everyone has Steam; it's sort of the de facto uh, platform, right? I think like early in the life cycle of the PlayStation Four. And early in the life cycle of the Nintendo Switch, they were also very nice to indies because they wanted that content because there wasn't very much content in their platform. But both of those consoles now have tons of games on them, just tons and tons. And there's no way like you could go to Sony now and say, hey, I'm doing a new PS4 indie game. Give me money for it because they're like, well, the, the, you know we have a established platform with like 30 million PS4s or I don't remember the actual number. Um, so, some indies are very good at, at like sort of taking advantage of this when it's early in a platform. The platform holder is like nice to you and wants wants your content, and so some of these developers can like really take advantage of that and say, "Oh, we're going to give you this thing for your new platform. We'll make you this new thing." And then other developers like us, we just kind of make stuff for PC and we don't pay very close attention to that uh because i think if we were always like chasing down a new platform and saying oh we should make this we should make that uh we would kind of lose the the speed that we have in making games just for pc in the in the kind of the niche that we have so that kind of strategy isn't necessarily for us but it can be good like if you're able to take advantage of a new platform um, as an indie mm-hmm.
1: and kind of like a uh Leadway to the future of the industry. I think, uh, when we last yeah. talked too, kind of playing a lot of recaps because it, it would just conveniently, like a lot of things has happened since the last time we talked, uh, VR yeah. was starting yeah. to blossom. It was becoming a thing. I think at that time, right, Facebook yeah. was really buying it. And now it's like, I, I feel like it's kind of bouncing back with, uh, with the Oculus quests and it, like, mm. there's, uh, uh, there's, a uh, interests again, uh, with their, uh, hand motion controls without the can motion controls i mean that is a huge um advantage for them to to really go in that direction what's your
0: general feeling
1: in that industry being bigger than it
0: can be from now yeah um it's it's still like cool technology um It hasn't, it definitely hasn't like caught on in a, in a mainstream way that I think that maybe some of the people working on it hoped that it would, um, but the technology continues to get better and better. Um, if someone gave me a lot of money to make a VR game, I, I would give it a try. You know, it seems interesting enough. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll, we'll just have to see. It definitely didn't happen as fast as like the people in the VR space, like, wanted it to, or maybe thought that it would. Um, but I, you know, I'm not like anti VR, like some people are real, real skeptics about it. Um, I guess I'm just kind of like keep keeping an open mind about it. And I try the demos with the latest technology. Um, and it is, you know, it's, it's not, it's never like completely blown me away. Um, but it's always been like, Oh, this is interesting. And maybe at some point there will be like a a point where it really clicks with a lot of people. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. I couldn't say, but, uh, it's definitely been like, it's like the, the VR market and like the studios making games for VR are depending on money from Facebook and, and, um, other players in the industry to make the content, to make the games. Like they're not necessarily all just paying their own way uh, by sales of these games.
1: And so you're projecting that's um, not really self-sustaining. We're we're just playing the long tail and hoping that one day there's
0: enough of a consumer market out there for it to support itself. I think as long as Facebook continues to believe it's the future and invests in it, you know, the, the will continue to be like games in VR, like Facebook is just so huge and can invest so much money into it that like, it could be like this market that doesn't, it's not necessarily like a 100% real market because like people aren't buying all of those products, but like in terms of like Facebook's investment, I think that they can probably like keep paying for that for as long as they want right Until until they decide like until it either takes off or until they decide ah, uh, never mind and then there will be less vr stuff going on
1: my last question that ties into that you're mentioning the last 10 minutes a lot of these companies that weren't players in the game industry are players now having the affordability to do what they want to I guess in a way, innovate our industry that we haven't seen for a while. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we removed all these guys, the Facebook, the Google. We would have continued this like downward spiral that we were in <laughs> where the Japanese market was collapsing and the AAA developers <laughs> mm-hmm. were closing doors every month, you know, without Apple as well with their iPhones and, and and you know, I, I would right. give them credit yeah. for the indie surge that they started Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like we? I don't want to. It sounds like I'm saying like that we lost control of our own industry, but we <laughs> have really given the responsibilities of innovation to those other players that are
0: really new. Mm. What are your thoughts about that? Mm. I think that's a fair point. um I think that like yeah, Google and Facebook getting into like gaming in the, in a way that is pretty serious. Um, I don't know. I think the jury's still out, right? Like Apple's been taught, like Apple's always had like a kind of an on and off relationship with games. Um, especially with Mac, but also on the, on the iPhone, they they, they sometimes like take, appear to take games really, really seriously and really want to work with game developers. And then other times they seem extremely uh, uninterested in, in game developers or, or doing things that would be good for the industry. Um, so I think like the big technology giants, um, They'll probably just continue to like do things that seem to make sense to them that that may or may not necessarily be good for games and and right now, like there there are ways in which it benefits The industry, there's more money coming in. There's like new technologies being developed. Um, At the same time, games is not necessarily like the biggest of the businesses that these that these companies do. And so, um, and this was always the danger with Microsoft too, uh, which was like if Xbox doesn't do well, they might just like give up on it. Like they they really could. Uh, Microsoft has so many other business units that are that make so much more money and do so much more stuff. So if Microsoft or Google or Facebook decided that gaming wasn't strategically important to them anymore, they could just pull the plug and, and leave. <laughs> so it's a matter of just like being aware, like when you're working with these big companies, like sure, they, they seem like a huge presence now. And and maybe that maybe they're here to stay, maybe they'll be a big force or maybe they won't. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I I agree with you that like in some ways maybe it feels like we're we lost control, but I'm not sure we were ever like fully in control to begin with. Yeah. Uh, just because you know it's all about shareholders at the end of the day, you know, no matter what, uh, no matter what company you you work with, whether that's EA or Activision or Microsoft, like it's all they're they're all publicly traded companies and they have to answer to their shareholders. So that's really the where the buck stops uh, with all of those companies. I think.
1: Well, we are at the end of the hour. I know you have a hard stop coming up soon and this is my fault for starting us a little later. I know (laughs) listeners out there and viewers out there would love to keep going and uh, we're definitely going to have you back sooner than later. But this is my time to kind of hand my mic over to you for you to shout out, give attention to or uh, promote anything that you
0: would like sure yeah um i'll talk about my visual novel it's called eliza it's available on steam uh and it's a story about uh virtual giving giving therapy to people using an ai interface um it's a really interesting story i think uh it's about how technology companies are kind of like mediating more and more of our lives it takes place here in seattle locally um It's a pretty linear story narrative game, uh, and I wanted to do that. And so if you play it, it's fully voiced. It's got beautiful art in it, um, and it's only $15, and uh, and it's on Steam. So please check that out if you get a chance. We'll definitely, we'll be checking that out. And it sounds like nonfiction,
1: which we are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it's, it's Microsoft. Bit, it's, <laughs> no. it's close. It's close. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, everyone check that out. Thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, today and uh, this week. But uh, that is it. That's the end of the podcast. And Matt, thank you for joining us and always loving your presence and your thoughts. You're so introspective about the industry. It actually (laughs) keeps me on my toes about like, all right, what's really going on? So,
0: uh, (laughs) cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. You too.